You can now take KRBN Internet News Talk Radio with you on your mobile phone as we are making it easier to listen to the great hosts here on KRBN, including our very own West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bozovich. It's free and available on Google Play. Just look for player.fm. That's player.fm and search for KRBN. Live from Lane County, Oregon, it's the Bose No Show with your host, West Lane County Commissioner Jay Bozovich. And now, here's Jay. Welcome to another edition of the Bose Nose Show, and I'm your host, Lane County Commissioner Jay Bozovich, and we're coming to you live from beautiful downtown Elmira, where it is truly beautiful here in the Pacific Northwest today. I think it's about 68 degrees, beautiful blue sky, uh, just you know, one of those days you can't beat it with a stick. Of course, this is after a couple weeks of rain and all that stuff, the first warm day, and man, I can feel the pollen. So if I start choking up or sneezing in the middle of the show, you know why. The tree pollen count has just gone through the roof here in the Willamette Valley. And uh, your host is suffering just a little bit from it. So we got a lot to talk about today. we got a new sheriff in town. was in Florence talking courthouse this morning. Kind of got hung up talking to a constituent. And then ended up getting hung up in the flagging on Highway 126 didn't quite make it to my home for good board meeting. Yeah, that kind of just happens sometimes. So, but I'm here doing the show, and then tonight I get to run off to, to Benita for a meeting with the uh, Oregon Country Fair folks and the off-site campground folks to try and talk about this upcoming 50th anniversary of the Oregon Country Fair and kind of making sure we don't cause as many problems to the neighbors as, as we did last year with noise and uh, some of the traffic issues we ran into. So um, just trying to, to help them get along with the neighbors there and coordinate all that tonight. So all sorts of stuff to talk about there. We have the what were you thinking this week? And, uh, you know, the city council did, did, you know, talked about panhandling and, and a few other things locally. So just a plethora of topics. But we'll also talk about whatever you want to talk about on the Bose Nose Show. Just give us a call at 646-721-9887. And just press 1 so we know you want to get in on the show. Again, that's 646-721-9887. And just press 1, and that lets Robin, my call screener and producer extraordinaire, know you want to get in on the conversation here on the Bose Nose Show and talk to me, your host, Jay Bozovich, West Lane County Commissioner. So we have a new sheriff in town. Um, last week, the board went through the process of interviewing two candidates and chose to appoint uh, Chief Deputy Sheriff Cliff Harold as our incoming sheriff. And officially on Tuesday at noon was the end of Byron Trapp tenure. That was the the uh, date and time that his his resignation was effective. So right at noon, the presiding judge for the Lane County uh, Circuit Court swore in our chief deputy, Clifton G. Harold, 
as our new county sheriff. And uh, Cliff comes to us with a long background at the county sheriff's department. In fact, it's basically the only place he's ever worked, other than he spent a little time as, believe it or not, the call answerer and dispatcher for the city of Cottage Grove Police Department um, while he was getting his his um, criminal justice associates at uh, Lane Community College. And Cliff grew up in Cresswell, family owned a dairy farm there. So I think he realized really early on that he didn't want to be a dairy farmer. <laughs> it's one of those jobs where it doesn't matter Christmas, Easter, New Year's morning, those cows have got to be milked. And all the other stuff has to happen. So um, it's one of those kind of bankless agricultural farming uh, occupations that we kind of take for granted as we're eating our Greek yogurt um, and granola for breakfast, that there was some dairy farmer that got up on Christmas morning to make sure we could have that Greek yogurt and granola. So <laughs> trying to be politically correct here in the People's Republic of Eugene. Uh, so, you know, Cliff is going to be really just a great addition. He's such a humble person, came up through the system, understands the importance of mentoring and bringing along the leadership and moving people up from the ranks into supervisory positions like sergeants and, and on up, you know, thatch or, or, you know, the administration just promoting from within and, and, and you know, being that servant leader that he really is. And, uh, He's going to be, a, I think, a great sheriff. So I'm looking forward to working with Cliff, and I was pleased to be there when he was sworn in and watching him take the oath of office and his wife pinning his new sheriff's badge on his uh, uniform, which is kind of funny. He actually forgot to bring it up from his, his office to the uh, Harris Hall where he's getting sworn in, and his wife had to run down there last minute and pull it out of his desk drawer. So it would be available for the official pinning ceremony there. Um, but uh, Cliff is going to be a great addition, and I, I look forward to working with him. So I spent my morning in Florence. Um, I was the guest of the Central Oregon Coast Board of Realtors down there, which is uh, basically all the realtors over there in Florence, and they kind of stretch a little bit into Douglas and Lincoln County because, you know, Realtors will take a listing from wherever they can take a listing from, and they'll show you a house wherever you want to look. So, but they're they're a great group of, of folks down there, and uh, particularly interested in making sure housing stays affordable. And few, it was interesting to be there during their regular business meeting before they got to where they brought the public in at 10 o'clock, and I was going to speak to everybody, including the public, about the courthouse. They had their um, uh, government affairs person uh, there, uh, Betsy Schultz, who talked about some of the bills, the proposals up in Salem that might affect realtors. And one of those bills is a proposal to eliminate uh, some of the mortgage interest deductions in, uh, your, on your state taxes. It would still be deductible federal, but what they're talking about is, is eliminating it for uh, folks on the state side, so it would make your state taxes go up. Uh, and they, they're talking about using that 
that money to um, pay for affordable housing, which kind of gets to that circular um, taxation I've talked about in the past, where they kind of make something cost more and then try and subsidize it with the taxes that make it cost more. So eliminating the mortgage interest deduction makes housing cost more because that makes part of that monthly mortgage payment not tax deductible anymore. So you're going to have to increase your, you know, your withholdings from your paycheck because at the end of the year, you're going to have a higher tax bill. So that's kind of one of those, you know, sneaky little tax changes that we're, they're talking about up in Salem that will kind of impact housing affordability. So the realtors are a little concerned about that. And uh, they also talked a little bit about construction excise taxes and, and their concerns with that and what the city of Eugene has done to try and at least try and do it in a gradual basis and try not to do harm when they do it. So they, they're only starting out with um, a third of a cent um, tax uh, per thousand of, of value or something like that for their permits. So, um, or a third of percent of the total value, sorry. Uh, so it's, it's, you know, you take whatever the value of your construction you're proposing the building and times it by 0.00333, you know, that, that third of a, of a percent. Um, and they're, then they're going to raise that to a half percent and then, then they're going to look and see if they want to go any further or keep it at a half percent. So the realtors are concerned about, you know, keeping housing affordable, but they they brought me down there to speak to the public about the courthouse, and I got to share um, a video which is easily found on our Lane County uh, website, and everybody was pretty impressed by that because it kind of walks you through with the uh, presiding judge, our DA, and some other folks talking about what's wrong with the courthouse and then how it's going to be financed. It's a five-minute video, fairly quick to watch, and you can go to lanecounty.org slash courthouse, and it's the, the video is right at the top of the page um, to watch there. So that's lanecounty.org slash courthouse. So uh, if you want to watch that video. And uh, I went on and, and showed some PowerPoints of, of uh, potential courtroom layouts and circulation of how inmates will get into and from without mixing with the public, which is a problem with our current courthouse, and talked about some of the other issues with our courthouse, like the fact that it's not seismically sound uh, for the Cascadia subduction zone event, and uh, how the sheriff's office is taking up the lower two floors, so you can imagine if that building has a problem, the sheriff's office is not going to be uh, usable after the event, which, you know, kind of speaks to our ability to recover. Once that happens, so, uh, the sheriff's offices will move into that new building. One of the things that's not moving into the new building is any of the county administrative functions. Only functions that are related to and necessary for the court will be in that new building. The, the DA and prosecution, of course, the, the judges and their staff and uh, the courtrooms, will be in that building. The um, parole and probation will have a presence there and not the full department, but enough of it to, to move uh, folks that have violated parole into the court systems. 
and to take people that have been sentenced to probation um, or coming out of into some of the early release programs right there and getting them assigned their their uh, parole officer. Um, so that's one of the reasons for that presence. The sheriff's office, of course, is there providing security and they also moving inmates in and out. So having their adjacency is really important. And the public defender's office will be there. And there'll be victim services, our law library, and all the self-help stuff for folks that are trying to, to deal with the law on their own. Uh, we'll all be there in that building. But my office won't move over there. County administrator's office is not going to move over there. Uh, and you know other functions like assessment, taxation, and elections and all that, none of that will be moving into the, that new courthouse justice facility. Just those things that are related to carrying out justice in Lane County. So fairly well received there by the by the uh, the realtors and the public that, that showed up. Uh, they kind of understood the need uh, and understood the fact that we've got this unique opportunity to leverage funds from outside of Lane County to construct this courthouse. The state started a program and we were kind of second in line as far as need goes. They did a ranking of all the all the uh, courthouses that needed to be replaced in the state and Lane County kind of came in number two. Uh, they're, they're completing the replacement of Multnomah County's courthouse right now. Clackamas County is sort of sitting behind us on, on the list. Um, and then there's, you know, Lynn County, Benton County, and other counties that are waiting to replace courthouses with the state bonding help. That state help is about 40% of the cost. If we don't approve the local portion of this, we may lose our turn in line, and there's no guarantee that the state will continue to renew this program. It's a every biennium vote for the legislature to fund these bonds to help re replace courthouses. So if we can't show the local match and they choose not to pass the bonds this time, we may slip in behind Clackamas County, maybe even behind Lynn and Benton County, which may put us several biennials out, and I'm not sure if the program will still be going on several biennials out. And if we have to build the courthouse later without state help at the current price, we would go from 27 cents per thousand to about 45 cents per thousand. So a good 60% increase in what it will cost local property tax players. And we don't get the benefit of having maybe some folks in Portland help us pay for our courthouse after we've been helping them pay for theirs. So, and one of the great things also about the courthouse project is we put a community benefits agreement tied to the project so that any fund, any uh, contracts we put into this are going to give priority to local labor, local contractors, and local materials. By local, I mean Lane County, so that that $94 million in state support will be generating jobs and economic activity here in Lane County. So we'll kind of be leveraging that along with spending the locally generated money here locally rather than having it go to some contractor that's you know coming down from Seattle and the only local benefit we're getting out of it is the hotel rooms 
employees rent while they're doing the construction, which is not really what we want. So that community benefits agreement helps that way. We also passed a county ordinance that says we won't sell the local bonds until the state has guaranteed that they will fund the state match. So until they take the votes and everything works through the legislature and the, and the governor signs the bill, we won't issue any local bonds and therefore we won't have to collect any taxes on it and we won't start, we won't go any further with the project unless we get that state match. So we, you know, the, you know, that's, we won't move ahead without that state money if, we, if the voters approve this bond. And that's actually set up in county code. So a couple you know, things we put on the project to make it work even better for Lane County. So that's one of the, some of the reasons why the crowd was receptive to the presentation I made. But that gets me to the fact that, you know, on my way out, a constituent wanted to talk to me about the county budget and some other issues and police services. And I kind of got lost track of time and I still had to get up to KCST up there and do an interview for their Our Town program uh, that's going to be broadcast later uh, on the courthouse issue. So I had to run from there after kind of getting delayed uh, coming out of the building with this constituent that had the thought that the, the talk was going to start at 11 and started at 10. So he kind of caught me leaving and, and uh, I wasn't watching my watch carefully and ran up to KCSC. And then I got caught in the flagging there on Highway 126, just west of Walton. And it made me really late coming back over the hill. Um, and, uh, you know, 126 is sometimes slow during the week in the best of times because there's very little opportunity to pass people. That construction there west of Walton is a new passing lane being installed. So hopefully it'll help some of that. But until it's constructed, it's going to create a lot of delays for folks where they're flagging that area 24 hours a day, seven days a week now. It's got pilot cars and folks flagging because they're really doing some pretty heavy duty work there to widen the road to get those passing lanes in as they have to do a lot of build ups and fill on both sides of the road to add those lanes. It's going to be great when they're done. That piece of work was a result of a 126 West safety task force that I led way back, um, I think it was in 2015, maybe even 14, after we'd had a really bad year of fatalities on Highway 126, where we had 10 deaths between Eugene and Mapleton in the space of, 20, of 12 months. So um, that task force, one of the things it recommended was there needs to be more places to be able to pull off the road. And if you may have noticed there's a lot more pull-offs that they've constructed along the road. They also worked on putting in uh, rumble strips either on the center line or uh, on the shoulder in places because most of the crashes that resulted in fatalities and major injuries were lane departures where people, uh, for one reason or another, got out of their lane and, and either hit an oncoming car or went off the road and hit a fixed object. Um, and that's what was, was the cause. So those rumble strips kind of give you that pre-warning like, oh, Look up from your cell phone and pay attention. 
get back in your lane um, quick. Uh, so it's, uh, you know, hopefully those will help folks out with some safety. But it was also there was a need for additional passing lanes. And that work there west of Walton was actually the result of some lobbying done by Lane County and with the help of our local legislators like Paul Hovey and uh, uh, Senator Floyd Brzezanski, Arnie Roblin, uh, you know, we kind of got together and identified some funds and they, they kind of in the last Christmas tree bill of one of the, the biennium, one of the legislative sessions, they stuck some money in for that um, widening, which they had, had actually preliminary engineering for years ago. They knew it could be done. They just didn't have construction money. And uh, the legislature put a couple million dollars in that final bill, which when you talk about their you know, $40 billion budget, it's not a whole lot of money. Um, but that's how we, we achieved getting that, that new uh, passing lane started there on 126. So really looking forward to getting that put in, which kind of leads me to Collard Lake Road as long as we're talking about roads, which is the other thing that came up at our board meeting on Tuesday, was uh, the board uh, gave direction to staff to make emergency repairs to the two existing uh, active um, areas of the slide that are endangering Collard Lake Road right now. It's going to cost the county and the taxpayers about $62,000 to fix that local access road. That under that designation is supposed to be maintained by the people that live on it, but um, Collar Lake Road is a little bit of a weird um, road with a strange history, where in 1976, Board of Commissioners voted unanimously to actually make that a county road and bring it into county maintenance, but that process was never completed. So there was an intent of the board that that should be a public road. But because one property owner wouldn't give the right away, never quite got back to the board level to accept it into county maintenance. So it's kind of had this limbo status for years where every once in a while, a, a group of citizens would come to the board of commissioners complaining about how unsafe it was. Board of commissioners would authorize emergency repairs to it say this is the last time or something like that and send them on their way. Um, fortunately, this time we got a little bit better research and found that 1976 vote and even a draft memo from the then director of uh, transportation, Al Driver, saying he recommended even accepting road even if we didn't get all the 50 foot wide right away that he would recommend um, a variance in that one area we couldn't get the right away. So. We're continuing to look at that uh, process of possibly accepting it as a county road, along with some issues with other local access roads across the county. Want to make sure that we're treating the whole system fairly and we're not just bringing this one in because there's a local group supporting us taking over the maintenance. Uh, but that's not the way decisions should work. There should be some kind of objective reason why we're going to make an exception for this road versus the other. 100 plus miles of local access roads that are out there in the county. Why this one point, you know, just about mile and a quarter section should have an exception made and brought back into the county. So that was big discussion on Tuesday. 
And uh, tonight I get to run from our show here and get over to the city of Anita and talk about the Oregon Country Fair. And we'll talk about that a little bit more. But I want to pause, talk a little bit about what were they thinking today. And I'm quickly going to try and bring up my, my iPad so I can get this gentleman's name correctly. But I am giving the What Were They Thinking Award this week to Mr. Charles Burke Niemeyer of Elmira, right here, close by. And this one kind of gives me a bit of the heebie-jeebies. Uh, this guy was arrested for online sexual corruption of a child in the first degree by the Eugene Police Department. Yeah. Ooh. This is not just only the What Were They Thinking, it's also the Ooh Award of the Week. Um, because this gentleman is obviously, um, you know, well, well past the age of 21, let's put it that way, by his, his mugshot, um, and probably well past 30, maybe past 40, uh, and I don't know, he kind of reminds me of the person that still is falling for the, you know, my, you know, husband who's a prince in Nigeria, needs to transfer money to the U.S. Can you help us out by, you know, give us your account information kind of thing, and we'll transfer it into your account. We'll let you keep so much of it. Um, you know, the, I don't know anyone that's still following for that stuff. This guy apparently fell for a police officer posing as a 15-year-old girl who um, online and agreed to meet the girl at the local high school, which is Elmira High School, which I live next door to, um, and who thought he was going to be meeting a 15-year-old girl to have sex and said that a Eugene police officer to be arrested. Um, so what were you thinking that, you know, you don't understand that police are doing these kinds of sting operations to look for you know, sexual predators online all the time now. Why are you online trying to do, have sex with a 15-year-old girl? Um, what are you thinking? And boy, am I glad EPD caught you before you ruined some child's life. Ew, Mr. Nehemiah. What were you thinking? So that's my what were you thinking award for the week. Um, you know, you can always email us at talk at krbnradio.net if you've got a what were you thinking award you'd like us to award here on the Bose Nose Show. Um, we give those out kind of regularly. Uh, so, it, it, you know, last, last week it was for all those folks that decided to drive into high water. We had quite a discussion about that, um, and particularly the gentleman that drove around the barricades on River Road out near Junction City uh, in his pickup truck <laughs> in the fast-moving water, only to end up having to be rescued uh, on live TV, basically, by the Junction City Fire Department. Uh, that was our what we were thinking then, but, you know, if you've got a what were you thinking, you can even call us with it at 646-721-9887. And we'll put you on live on the show for you to give out your What Were They Thinking Award on the Bose Nose Show. So uh, this week's award goes to the new uh, Mr. Niemeyer who got caught, um, you know, in a uh, 
sting operation by the Eugene Police Department posing as a 15-year-old girl. Ooh, 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 ooh. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, he's just, yeah, what was he thinking? So we're moving on here, and we'll get back to some of the other things going on. I want to touch briefly on the Eugene City Council. They had something in front of them this week to uh, look at a possible ban on handing items from a car while you're in the travel lane to a pedestrian. So, you know, of course, everybody started saying that's particularly targeted at the homeless who panhandle at street corners, and that's how they get the money is somebody, you know, hands or food that people hand out the car windows to these folks that then stroll into traffic and, and you know, light turns green, what's everybody do? You know, it kind of gets a little dangerous and dicey sometimes. Um, and it was put forward as a safety measure. Well, the council kind of flipped it and said it's really an anti-panhandling measure. And panhandling has been defined as um, protected First Amendment free speech by the Oregon Supreme Court. And therefore, we think it's an unconstitutional law. Now, Springfield adopted it, and I have yet to see that they've had it overturned by any court uh, as being unconstitutional. Um, so they seem to be fine with it, but the city council decided it was really about panhandling, not traffic safety. Um, what was interesting, though, is if it failed on a 2-6 vote. You know, where two councilors voted in favor of it and six voted against it. And the two that voted in favor of it were Mike Clark, who you kind of would expect because he's considered kind of the conservative. But the other person that voted in favor of it was Betty Taylor, who's kind of only known to be way over on the liberal side. So an interesting bedfellows, so to speak. Uh, what an odd couple, Betty and Mike. Eddie Taylor, you know, the, the woman famous for wanting to put chairs on, on street corners because it makes the city better. Uh, and Mike Clark, um, you know, who's kind of the, the, the lone conservative on the Eugene City Council. And even at that, um, he, you know, if he were in any other state and city than Oregon and Eugene, he might not be considered a conservative because he's long had the backing of the police union and the firefighters union, which a lot of conservatives wouldn't be able to draw that. Um, so, uh, but it was interesting to see Betty and Mike together. Um, you know, it's it, you know, interesting, uh, interesting pair. I, I didn't get to hear why Betty chose to support the measure uh, when some of her fellow um, folks uh, chose not to support it, like Alan Zelenka. And uh, you know Claire uh, Surrett. So interesting that Betty broke ranks with the rest of them there and voted with Mike. <laughs> but I don't know what you guys think. What's interesting to me though is I know that panhandling is speech, but what I hope folks understand is you're really not helping the homeless by handing them cash. There are multiple programs to get food in their hands. And there's multiple programs to try and help them in some of their plights. They get, you know, 
Oregon Trail cards, they're eligible for Medicaid for medical services. The problem is, is a lot of times they'll sell an Oregon Trail card for 60 bucks. And because they want cash, they'll go in and use their Oregon Trail card to buy something in bottles that have a deposit, pour it out, pour the bottles empty, and, and return the bottles for the cash. Because there's one thing an Oregon Trail card or food for Lane County or the, the local charities serving food or church won't give you. They won't give you alcohol, they won't give you cigarettes, and they won't give you drugs. All three of those require cash to purchase. That's the only reason you really need cash. So as you hand those folks cash, what you're handling, handing them is the ability to feed addiction. And that's not truly helping them out. I know we talked considerably a couple weeks ago about that video that's out there, and I still recommend if you have not watched Seattle is Dying, Google it. The links are all over the place now. Watch it. It takes an hour, but it's worth watching. It's so obvious that the majority of our homeless problems is driven by addiction. So by handing folks cash, you're feeding that addiction, you're not helping them. What we really, you know, Seattle is dying, kind of came to the conclusion at the end, that the most helpful thing is to try and hold these people at least a little responsible for the behaviors that come with that addiction, so that we kind of have a stick to help them move into treatment. And, that, and some of the most effective treatments are treatments that actually come while they're in custody and are continued during their and probation. So I, I noticed that um, Robin was able to get the, the, the logo for Seattle is dying up there. Um, it's uh, Kogo, I think, was the, um, the, the station that, that put it together. Amazing piece of documentary work. If it doesn't drop your jaw at times, I don't know what will. And if it doesn't win an Emmy, I don't know what else deserves the Emmy above this particular piece of documentary work. But, you know, it clearly shows we're not helping folks by, you know, basically um, making it okay and easy for them to continue in their addiction. We kind of have to make it uneasy and hold them responsible for the behaviors that come with that. You know, if they're vandalizing, if they're disturbing the peace, we need to hold them, you know, responsible for some of those behaviors. And then use the stick of possible, you know, time in jail or, or prison or whatever uh, sanctions that might be as the stick to get them to take the carrot that's treatment. And, and deal with the addiction. Handing them a dollar bill at an intersection as you come out of Walmart is not doing any of those things. In fact, it's aiding and abetting their addiction. You're slowly killing that person. So, uh, uh, you know, it is it's protected free speech, and I've, anyone has the right to come up and ask me for, for money. I also have the right to say no, and so do you. And I'm just, you know, I'm going to sound like Ronnie and Nancy here. 
Um, just say no. Don't hand folks cash. Because the only reason they want that cash is because their um, assistance programs will not fund addiction. They can't get alcohol from the food bank. They can't buy cigarettes with an Oregon Trail card. You can't go to the Medicaid-funded clinic and get an illegal drug. So they're looking for that cash for one of those three things, and, that, and, and almost solely that. It's not for gas. You know, it, 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 it's not to get bus, a bus ticket out of here. It's all about feeding the addiction. And, and I, I recommend, all right, Seattle is dying. Everybody, please watch that. So that's what that city council vote kind of brought up in my mind, and, and one of the reasons why, you know, I think it's important we understand the drivers of homelessness. At the same time, they're, they're somebody's dad, somebody's mom, somebody's sister, brother, son, daughter. They're people, and we have to treat them as people. One of the reasons why I strongly support programs at Lane County where it's aimed at curing the problem, not just making it easy. And that's why I'm so strongly supportive of, of our low barrier housing first program there, the MLK Commons, where we're going to get people into housing, even if they're still have an active addiction going. But once they're in there, they're, they're, they have case management and will work on that addiction. We'll work on whatever side issues are with your physical health and your mental health. And try and get those people whole and back into the highest functioning they can they can achieve. Um, and that's really that's a long term cure. You know, that gets people permanently out of homelessness. Some of the temporary stuff like some of the rest stops and tent camps and, and warming centers. They don't deal with the base issue of why is that person on the street? Why did all their relatives stop housing them and, and their friends stop letting them couch surf? Because they stole from them to feed an addiction usually. And they got kicked out. People got set up. So I'll get off my, my soapbox on that issue. Maybe talk a little bit about this upcoming meeting with the Oregon Country Fair folks. You know, Folks may um, remember from some other Bozo shows um, last summer, shortly after the country fair, I was inundated with complaints from citizens that live around Elmira and even as far away as South Benita on the far side of Benita that heard late night amplified music, that had problems with traffic, that had to shut their business down because cellular service went to in this area if you had Verizon. And uh, it was a real impactful country fair for the neighbors last year. And I've been trying to work with the off-site uh, campgrounds and the fair folks to try and make sure this 50th anniversary edition, which is probably going to be bigger than last year's because everyone wants to be there for the 50th, um, particularly people that were there for the first one, which, uh, or, you know, one of the early uh, country fairs, it's going to be a big country fair. 
And there's a meeting tonight with all the off-site campground property, the property owners and the folks that run those, the Oregon Country Fair folks, um, the fire district folks, and folks from the city of Benita, and um, I'll be there, even some representatives from some of the legislators' offices. Try and talk about how we can make sure this runs a little smoother this year. Is there a better way we can manage traffic on solo road on the move-in days for the campground? So we don't end up with the gridlock we got last year. Um, is that you know? Is it possible maybe to bring some of the Oregon Country Fair traffic in that day from Highway 126 instead? Can we get everybody to agree? Lane County Noise Ordinance, you know, have a you know, have a 10 o'clock shutdown of noise, but can be extended to 11 for events, which I think we would all agree this is one of those unusual events. So, but at least by 11 o'clock, the fair starts at 11 o'clock in the morning. So that's 12 hours of party folks can have. You know, from 11 to I think it's seven, they shut down the fair, or six o'clock. Um, and then once they get back to the campground, or or the folks that are in the Oregon Country Fair family that are staying on the camp with the Country Fair property, you got to 11 o'clock to have really loud party. Amplified music, drum circles, the whole bit, and at 11 o'clock can we shut it down and let that neighbor that's got a two-year-old or even a six-month-old get some sleep until everything starts back up the next morning. Um, that's all the folks are kind of asking for is a little bit of courtesy and following Lane County law, which basically says 11 at night to 7 in the morning is a quiet time. And you shouldn't be making excessive noise that, that can affect folks that are living next door. Or in this case, I had people three miles away that heard the Saturday night concert of electronic music that came from the Miss Piggy lot, apparently, um, until almost 3 a.m. in the morning. And that's, you know, that's asking people to be a, a little bit more than tolerant, even if it's only one weekend a year. But you got to think about Oregon. There's only about 10 to 12 weekends a year that are these beautiful summer weekends where folks can sit out on their patio with friends and family. And the Oregon Country Fair takes up one of those weekends for the whole town of Elmira, basically, and some of the surrounding areas around here, as far as being impactful to those folks. So we are giving up a weekend, one of those precious 10 to 12 weekends you know, of, of the year in a lot of ways. We're just asking for the courtesy to, you know, you get, you get 12 hours of playtime from 11 when the fair opens to 11 when the noise ordinance kicks in, and we have some courtesy after 11 o'clock. And that's hopefully the message I'm going to be taking the fair. The fair is actually a very good thing for this community, and I'm not trying to shut the fair down. I know there's some rumors out there that say that I am. I've attended the country fair. I like the country fair. They do some great things from their foundation as far as funding some local art programs and other stuff. They they're subsidizing a local uh, low-power FM station here in the community. 
they do good things. The artisans there are amazing because they have juried um, vendor booths where you have to compete to get a booth in the fair. It's just amazing artwork there. Um, the, the live acts and, and uh, music that comes to the fair is great. You know, it's a, it, the food's awesome. The people watching is, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, best people watching, I think, anywhere. Uh, you know, of course, I have not been to Burning Man or Coachella, so I can't compare it to those. But for me, absolute best people watching you'll ever want um, in the world. Uh, so it, it, it's a great event, and it's it's a world event. People come from here to go to the fair from overseas. You know, it's an amazing, and it, they bring that that their their dollars with them and spend them here in Lane County. The, the Oregon Country Fair is not going to go away. It's a long-standing tradition. It's here as a non-conforming use that, that came into being before we actually had zoning laws to cover things like the fair. So I'm, I can't, I don't think I could close it down even if I wanted to, and I don't want to. What I want to do is I want it to be successful, and if it continues to cause problems for neighbors that are easily made into political issues, like loud electronic music at 3 a.m. that can be heard three miles away, that's what's going to close it down. That those neighbors are going to make, you know, cause the pressure. They're going to look for attorneys. They're going to want damages. And that's going to be the problem. And, and really, you know, I want a safe and healthy fair. The traffic issues are a safety issue. Um, if there was a fire or a medical emergency on, in the Subtle Road area on move-in day on Thursday, we would have had a really tough time getting to it. I want to make sure that fire safety stays top mind to folks uh, that have to look at Paradise, California. We're doing that, you know, we basically move a small city into an area of the county that is rural, forested, or, you know, hay, hay fields and pastures that get dry about the second or third weekend of um, July. So we really want to stay safe. We really want to have a courteous fair, but I want to have a fair. I mean, it's a great event, uh, and, and it's, it's an economic um, stimulus for the area, and uh, I, I look forward to it every year in a lot of ways. Other than I don't look forward to the phone calls, emails, Facebook messages, and everything else I get during the fair and for probably the next month after the fair complaining about it. Be great to have a fair and not get a single complaint. Well, there's always going to be somebody. There's always that one person. Um, so, but looking forward to that meeting tonight. Hopefully, there'll be a, a, a spirit of cooperation in trying to put out the best fair, the most courteous fair, and a successful long-term fair. So I see we've got the Oregon Country Fair logo up there. Thank you, Robin my producer and phone screener extraordinaire there for, for being on the ball. She got up the Seattle and dying logo, and now she's got up the country fair. Um, Join the 50th celebration. Yes, it's going to be an amazing fair. And I imagine they're going to do some extra good stuff during the fair for the 50th 
Um, so should be fun. Just that to be fun with some courtesy and some safety. That's all I'm asking for. So kind of uh, ran through some of my topics, and I was looking to see maybe if anyone has something they want to talk about. I'll take a breath and give you the phone number to call in. It's 646-721-9887, and just press 1. That lets us know you want to get in on the Bose Nose Show. Again, that's 646-721-9887. Just press 1. And uh, we've got about 10 minutes or so left in the program. Plenty of time for a good conversation. And we'll take the show in the direction you want to go because I like that the best uh, when somebody calls in. Last week we talked a little bit about national pop credo vote on, on the Bo's Nose show, and somebody called in. We had a conversation about that um, and some of the, you know, whether it's even constitutionally legal to have a compact between states uh, as. As there's a section of the, the uh, U.S. Constitution that prohibits some of that, um, so be interesting to see what happens with that once it gets, uh, if if they actually are able to achieve the compact um, and get enough states to to kick it off. I have a feeling that that it will end up in court rather quickly. Um, yeah, well, yeah. If you don't mind jumping in there real quick, go ahead, Robin on the uh, electoral college, which is a really good explanation, got me thinking that if, now if I understand it correctly, the idea is a bunch of states that approve what Oregon wants to do. They get together and they decide candidate A is the one that the, the popular vote. And so we're, they're all going to vote their electoral college to candidate A. Well, isn't that, if I understand that correctly, isn't that also become mob rule? Um, a little bit because, you know, the whole point of the Electoral College was it was the balancing of states' rights. Um, we're not a pure democracy. We never have been. We weren't set up to be one. The House of Representatives, Senate was set up to be where the state's voice was, and senators originally were appointed by state legislators. They weren't voted on by it directly. That's an amendment I would love to see go away, but that I don't think it's ever going to change. Um, but that was the idea where every state has equal representation in the Senate, so the states have equal power in the Senate. The executive branch and the presidency was a blend of those, but still recognized the state's rights in that the electoral college elects the, the executive. And that electoral college was a blend of how many representatives you have plus your two senators. So a state like Wyoming that only has one representative because they have such a small population gets three electoral college votes. And a state like California that has a huge population, it, I, I don't have it in front of me, 57, let's say, um, votes because it's their you know, 55 representatives and two senators. Um, and that kind of gives this sort of blend of states' rights and popular vote in the executive branch. What they want to do is basically take away that blend and make it purely popular. Well, that's what the House of Representatives is. It's purely popular sentiment. And, and it's going to basically 
completely erased states' rights because now the Senate is popular sentiment, except for the fact that the, there's unequal representation. A senator from California may represent millions and millions of people, and a senator from Wyoming may represent hundreds of thousands. Yeah. So, um, you know, there, that's the only thing, but it's still by popular vote in the Senate about how people get elected rather than appointed by legislators where we used to get a lot more statesmen um, senators than we get now where they're more populist senators because they have to appeal to a statewide election versus trying to um, appeal to a majority of a legislator, legislature where they have to be more statesmen. Um, but, you know, the national popular vote compact is agreeing that once they get 270 electoral votes, which is what it takes to win the Electoral College, put together between the states that are part of the compact, at that point, whoever wins the national popular vote will get all of those states' electoral college votes. And I explained last week how that could really disenfranchise voters of a state particularly if there is a strong third-party candidate or independent candidate in the race. Think Ross Perot a few years back. Uh, think, you know, um, uh, Wallace. Think, you know, uh, Roosevelt and the Bull Moose Party, you know, where there's a significant third-party vote. Um, and in this case, there's a potential for it because we got this guy that owns a coffee company that, like Donald Trump, could probably fund his own campaign if he wanted to um, that wants to run for president possibly and be that non-Democrat, non-Republican alternative for folks to vote for. Well, here in Oregon where, you know, President Trump lost pretty handily in a popular vote, that will probably happen again in 2020. And even the coffee company president probably won't take enough votes away from the Democrats to have Donald Trump prevail in the state. So, you know, in fact, it may be the Democrat, the coffee company executive, and then Donald Trump in the state. But in the national popular vote, that coffee company executive could mostly split votes away from the Democrats. And you could get a situation where Donald Trump takes a plurality of the national popular vote. He doesn't get a majority, he doesn't go past 50%, but he might say get 40%. And then the Democrat gets 38%. And the third party coffee guy gets 22%. Well, under this national popular vote compact, once they get 270 electoral votes, all of or if Oregon's part of that, all seven and possibly eight, if we get another another representative in this next census, all of our electoral college votes will go to Donald Trump. Even though he might have come in third in Oregon's popular vote, all of those delegates will go to Donald Trump. That really would disenfranchise, I think, voters in Oregon. And that's what I kind of talked about last week. So think about it a little bit. Is national popular vote really the way you want to go? Or do we really want to stick with a system that was designed to kind of blend the populism through the, 
the number of delegates that get assigned plus the senators so that the states have a little bit of balance. It still puts a lot of states, you know, you don't see a lot of campaigning in Wyoming. And you don't see a lot of campaigning, you know, in these really small states, you know, uh, Montana. But you see a heck of a lot of campaigning in some of the really key states and swing states like Florida and Texas and, you know, Michigan, you know, where there's a fair, a large enough number of electoral college votes, but it's possibility of swinging one way or the other. Um, and that becomes the, the, the real key. National popular vote, you know, really is, um, I think, not the way to elect an executive for this country. Because it really gets away from the Constitution, which was set up in so many ways and checks and balances. You've got the balance of the House of Representatives is purely populist. You have the Senate that was supposed to really be purely about the state, where every state's equal, and the executive was that blend. And then you even have the, the balance of the courts, you know, as the third branch of government um, to, to watch over the whole thing. So many checks and balances set up in the, in the, in the Constitution. Messing with the Electoral College is messing with that balance. And I, I really don't think it's a good idea. So we got about two minutes left on the Bose No Show. Still time for conversation. You want to get in here at 646-721-9887. And, uh, you know, we'll talk about what you want to talk about. I'm going to take the last minute here just to, to mention the fire there in Paris and uh, the cathedral there of Notre Dame. And, you know, it, what a sad thing. You know, but you know, it was kind of funny. Some friends were like, I thought it was made out of stone. You know, why is it burning and all that? You know, and uh, I was kind of like, well, you know, they framed the insides of those, particularly above the, the, the arched ceilings that you see as you look up in the cathedral, all above that timber framing to hold up, you know, the walls apart from each other, you know, because the flying buttresses on the outside are only supporting the walls from falling out. Somehow or another, they have to be kept from falling in. And there's timbers that's, that make some of those spans, besides the arches that are internal, uh, structurally. In fact, in that particular ceiling, they basically had an entire forest worth of timbers up there. That's what burned. Uh, but it's really sad to see that thing burn. And it's sad to see another you know, historic religious monument destroyed. And it makes me wonder about what the real cause of that fire was. And, I, and I'm, I'm not going to judge now what it is, but we've seen other historic religious monuments destroyed around the world over the last 10 to 20 years. And I really wonder if that was targeted uh, for destruction. Well, that's about it for the Bose Nose Show this week. Um, we'll be back next week with another edition of the Bose Nose Show. We didn't even talk about Tax Day. Completely missed April 15th on today's show. So maybe next week we'll talk a little bit about some of the taxes that the legislature is thinking about putting on uh, this year. And uh, we'll get into that maybe next week. So we'll be back next Wednesday, 4 o'clock here on the Bose Nose Show, live from beautiful downtown Elmira. Thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.